Victor Hugo once said, The greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved, loved for ourselves, or rather, loved in spite of ourselves. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. The objective of our program is to discuss with you, our listeners, thought-provoking and meaningful topics based on the Bible. This is a call-in format. We're very caller-friendly, and we certainly look forward to hearing your point of view. For those of you who may be listening for the first time, our perspective is this. We believe that there is one God, and through him there is one truth, which is found in the Bible. Our purpose is to stir your thinking up along with ours as we continually search for clarity in understanding this one truth. Well, we are not here to teach. We are here to seriously provoke your thinking according to Hebrews 10.24, which is the theme for our program. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. This provoking is encouraged by Isaiah 1.18. Come now and let us reason together. We look to frame our comments in the context of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 and 21. Quench not the spirit, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And the only end result we seek to accomplish is to bring praise, honor, and glory to God our Father and Jesus our Lord. And if you'd like to contact us or suggest a topic for a future program and win a Christian Questions travel mug, here's what you do. You write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320, or check us out on the web at www.christianquestions.net. And if you do have a Christian question or want to reopen a previously aired topic, give us a call, let us know, and we'll see what we can do. So on behalf of Jonathan, my able co-host... Good morning, Rick. And Sean, the guy behind the board. Good morning, gentlemen. We want to welcome you to this hour of our program. So, Jonathan, what's up? What's new? What's exciting? What's happening? Or what's old? What's old? We mean what's old. Last week. Oh. Our our subject. That's not old. (laughs) I thought you were talking about the two of you. Oh, hey. Hey, hey, hey. What's up? All right. Let's do a hair count. That's all I got. (laughs) I deserve that. (laughs) Last week we talked about, guys, should we forgive? And I think it's very appropriate at this time that we do that. <laughs> and uh, actually that was a really good um, good discussion last week. We got into a lot of things. Uh, we had a, a couple calls and uh, um, got into the, uh, just what, what, what does forgiveness, forgiveness mean? Actually, remember we had a call right at the end of the program, but we couldn't take it because we, yes, we had like right. 30 seconds left. So if they still have their thought and they're willing to share and want to share, give us a call and we'll be glad to uh, readdress it. Should we forgive? Forgiveness is a big part of a Christian's life and actually should be a big part of everybody's life. And uh, one of the things I think that's important to have learned from that discussion is that forgiveness uh, doesn't necessarily take away the consequences of an action. But what it does is if, if if, if I did something to you and you are forgiving me what you're what you're doing is you're taking the effects of what I've done away from you and that's what forgiveness in the scriptures doesn't um, doesn't negate the fact that I have to uh, do the restitution or whatever uh, difficulties I may encounter as a result of that that uh, that bad action on my part so interesting subject it was definitely but and is it is. It will always be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, this week, though, this is a Valentine's Day weekend. Yes, it is. So what's our subject? It's special. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage? <laughs> Sounds like you're getting ready to sing. <laughs> our theme text is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Then the man said, 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. So it is Valentine's Day weekend, a time to openly and outwardly express your love for that special someone. Funny how things change over time. More and more as time goes on, Valentine's Day becomes is, is becoming a symbol of sex rather than a symbol of love. And not only that, the sanctity of marriage, of the marriage contract, seems to take on less and less meaning. Now there are countless TV shows that seek to match people up, or rather to shack people up. So do love and marriage fit together anymore? Is marriage important? What is real love all about? Fortunately, the Bible has a lot to say on this subject, and this morning we will examine love, marriage, and their role in our world, because it is Valentine's Day weekend, and uh, see if we can find out a biblical perspective. Do love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage? (laughs) Our questions for consideration this morning. What is love? Are there different types of love? Second question, how do you find love? Third question, what is the most important thing in a marriage? And the last question, does marriage really have to be for life? It's like a sentence, you know? (laughs) It's a life (laughs) sentence. Is that what it really is? If you have a thought, give us a call at 443-9782-443-WSUB. I'm going to plead the fifth on that. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Okay. (laughs) Time to move on to the first question. Yeah, real quick. What is love? Are there different types of love? And we've got a definition here uh, from a Bible encyclopedia. And that reads, While the Hebrew and Greek words for love have various shades and intensities of meaning, they may be summed up in some such definition as this. Love, whether used of God or man, is an earnest and anxious desire for and an active and beneficent interest in the well-being of the one love. Okay, and that's a very precisely worded definition, and hopefully we'll be able to come back to this definition over and over again, because I think this really does captivate what true love is all about. Um, and and we're going to get into the different aspects of love and, and, you know, loving and being loved and all of that, and what are the differences and what's love and what's infatuation and all those good things. Uh, McClintock and Strong's also does, uh, gives a, uh, a pretty good overview of, of love. And um, number one, by abstaining from all that could prove injurious to it. Okay, first of all, if you read the the phrase before, it says, the word for love is an attachment of the affections to any object accompanied with an ardent desire to promote its happiness. Okay. Okay, by abstaining from all that could prove injurious to it, or by doing all that promotes its welfare, comfort, or interests, whether it is indifferent to these efforts or whether it appreciates them. We can we okay. can hold. So what it's saying is, interesting, Jonathan, that love in in the Bible definitions is a is an is a is is something. It's active mm-hmm. on the part of the one giving the love. Right. And you notice it doesn't it doesn't in any of the definitions talk about getting anything back as a result of it. Good point. It talks about the object of your love being the thing or the person that you are looking to care for that you abstain from anything that could prove injurious to it, uh, that you are promoting its welfare, its comfort, its interests. Uh, That's what love is all about. And it just doesn't say anything about, you know, the the reciprocation being a necessary part of it. 
Well, that's interesting. If if both parties feel that way, then it's all perfect. is good. It's perfect. All is good yeah. on the home front. <laughs> you got it. All right. So so let's look now. Let's go a little bit further and just very quickly go through. And there's a number of words here, but go through the words in the New Testament that are translated love, because I think that's going to help us understand what love is about. And there's some very different words here. Okay, Strong's number 25 means to love. Okay, and number 26 means affection or benevolence. Number 5360 means fraternal affection. Now, what's the, the Greek word for that? Philadelphia. And, you know, they call that the city of brotherly love. That's right. And that's why. Well, don't say it, Sean, because we're going to be positive today. Okay. We're positive that that's the name of the city. Ye- yes, we are. And we'll leave it at that. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. I have... I have Great affection for the city. I went to school there, so it's a great city. Okay. So Philadelphia, and it's interesting, we've got that Greek word as the name of the city, and it mm-hmm. really does mean brotherly love, or as you mentioned, fraternal affection. And there's a number of, of other Greek words that, are, uh, that come off of that word, Very Philadelphia. Very similar. Mm-hmm. And Strong's 5361 is fond of brethren or fraternal. Okay, another Strong's 5362 is fond of man or affectionate as a wife. And Strong's 5363 means fondness of mankind. And then 5365 means uh, avarice, which is the love of money. Mm. So it takes love and, and it turns it into a, 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 a bad thing because it's, it's love misplaced. Gotcha. And Strong's number 5368 is to be a friend, have affection for. Okay, so it's interesting that in, in all of these words, there's a couple of but we won't go into it, but, you know, the bottom line is that last one you read, it, the, the Greek word is philio, mm-hmm. okay? And Philadelphia is, is kind of takes yeah. taken off of this right. philio, mm-hmm. and it means to be a friend. Now, we all know what that is like. We all know how to be, I think we all know. Yeah, I mean, how to be a friend. I hope we would all know how to be a friend. Sure. Or how to have affection for someone else. And this, this... In these basic definitions, we're not we're not dealing with this any kind of romantic attachment uh, up to this point. No, we're not. We're just dealing with putting someone else before you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the words, the twenty-five and the twenty-six, the agapeo and the agape, uh, those are the Greek words. Um, I think they're stronger than the last group of words, the the philio and the Philadelphia and all mm-hmm. of those. Mm-hmm. Those are more. Hey, you know, you know. Y- y- You've heard of, 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 you know, people talking about, well, you know, they're bonding. Yeah. That's yeah. Philadelphia. That's Definitely. filio love. Right. Okay? But the love, and we'll, we'll see the, definite, the, the differences as we go through our, our uh, discussion this morning. The love of the agape type is a much, much stronger uh, bond. It's, 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 it's much deeper, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, we're starting with that. The question is, what is love, and are there different types of love? And so far, we see definitely that there are different types of love. And uh, in the scriptures, there's a variety of words that, that kind of characterize a variety of actions. Not emotions, oh, that's interesting. but actions. Uh-huh. See, because love is never defined here as an emotional attachment. <laughs> that's interesting. And, well, and how, how many people take it the opposite way, Right. if I don't feel in love, I'm, I'm out of here. Right, right. So it, love is not, and I think that's the first thing we need to, uh, to um, establish. According to what we've seen in the scriptures, love is not an emotion. It is an action. 
It is a choice. It is something that we do, not something that we feel. Excellent. And if more of us would look at it that way, boy, life would be different. Because, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Well, why don't we get into what does love do? And we've got a bunch of things listed here that love does, and every one of them has a scripture attached to it. Yes. So, again, the Bible is very clear on, on love uh, being an important part of a Christian's life. Mm-hmm. And the Bible explains to us what love is about. And, again, you're never going to see in any of these descriptions of love you're never going to see it as an emotion okay. and i just i'm just fascinated by that anyway okay. let's get started with these all right the first invokes ob- obedience and john 14:15 reads if you love me keep my commandments so those are jesus words mm-hmm. and he's saying if you love and that word is the one of the uh, this, as a matter of fact all of these uses of love here that we're going to go over uh, under the subheading of what does love do every one of them is the agape the stronger type. If mm-hmm. you if you love me, keep my commands. So Jesus is saying, it's going to show your love for me. Now is that is that your emotional attachment, or is it that is it your dedication? Dedication for sure. Yeah. So so I think he's Obedience, saying, yeah. if you if you are dedicated to following me, you'll keep my commandments. Right. Not if you feel nicely about me. Okay, so that that's the first thing. Love invokes obedience. What else does love do? It fulfills the law. Romans 13:8 reads, "O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law." Okay, now that's a that's a powerful statement because the law, especially in the New Testament, you know, the transition from from um, the those who followed and were under the Jewish law to transitioning to following the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. That was a big debate throughout the entire season of the writing of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul here says, if you love one another, you fulfill the law. It's like, well, how can you do that just by loving one another? Well, I guess we'll talk about it when we come back. This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions on 980 WSUB. Grab your Bibles. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Christian Questions on 980 WSUV with Jonathan and Rick. Our subject this segment, Do Love and Marriage Go Together Like a Horse and Carriage? To be a part of our program, call 443-9782-443-WSUV. And Jonathan, we're talking about, uh, there's a couple of basic words in the New Testament that define love, and uh, none of them is an emotion, but they're all actions. One is much more of a brotherly love, a, hey buddy, how are you? We're in this together, you know. You're, you know, the, the two soldiers fighting in the same trench, sort of thing, and the other is a a, a serious dedication to the well-being of another. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about that second word, the serious dedication to a well-being of another, and that's agape love, right? And we're saying, we're looking at what does love do? And just one, one thing, Jonathan, agape love has been defined as a disinterested love. Which, which does I don't like that. You know, it's hard to understand when you say disinterest. So you're not interested in me. Well, but but it's really saying that that phrase is really saying that your love is not self-interested, it's selfless. Right. So it's not looking for anything back at it's all. Just giving. Right. Gotcha. Right. And and I think that's what we're trying to get to. That's what love is all about. And sure, everybody loves to get back. 
but giving is the key. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what the Bible talks about love as. And what does love do? It gives of itself. How about that? Second Corinthians 12, verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. <laughs> the Apostle Paul is saying, Whoa. I'm, I'm giving, 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 and, and you know, it's, it's not coming back around, but he's not like saying, you know, oh, poor me, <laughs> you know, give me a little attention here. He's saying, this is, this is what I'm doing. This, this you is, stuck with me whether you like r- it or right, not. <laughs> exactly. And what a great attitude, because mm-hmm. that is an attitude of that, that, that selfless love, that, see, that's disinterested for your own benefit. All right. Love also rewards, James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So receiving this crown of life uh, that was promised to those who love God. And again, that love is who are looking to serve him ultimately, completely, with no thought of anything in return. Right. Which kind of really blows out of the water a lot of the... uh, a lot of the the ways that we normally look at love. We, mm-hmm. we look at love as a give and take sort of thing, but love is a give sort of thing. That's right. Love also gives us discipline. Galatians 5.13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Okay, so we've been called unto, again, in the, in the, in the first segment we are talking about the release of, of the Jewish Christians from from the Jewish law. Right. And so it's saying you've been given liberty. You've Mm -hmm. been released. But it's saying don't take that liberty and use it um, selfishly, but by love, by that selfless giving, serve one another with that liberty. So it's not an excuse to just say, oh, I can do whatever I want. Right. Uh, Also love edifies. 1 Corinthians 8.1 now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth. Okay, and, and when you say to edify, it means to build up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you edify someone, you build them up, versus knowledge puffs you up. Gotcha. So is, is it, am I going to live in, am I going to be like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Joe, Mr. Brains, and I, and I get all full of myself. Pride. Right. Or am I going to love, because love builds up, others rather than puffing up yourself. What a great right. com- comparison. It is. It's interesting. It's suggesting you both, but it also at the same time kind of suggests that love is the greater of the two. Hey, very much so. Very much so. Not to say that other things aren't important. And right. That, that's why I preface my right. statement that way. <laughs> so, and, and we'll get to that hopefully as we go on. Uh, love makes us honorable. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am becoming a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And it's interesting, folks. We're going through now for the next number of scriptures. We're going to be parked in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's if you're a Christian and you know your Bible, that's commonly called... The love chapter. That's right. It's the love chapter because (laughs) the Apostle Paul is spending critical time talking about love as being something that's much more important than so many other things. And uh, it makes us honorable. And w- when you look at the the act of loving, when you put all of these things to it, you become such a well-rounded person if you truly know how to love others. It's, it's an amazing thing. And the scriptures give us all of this as definition and, and as, as motivation to become more loving. Also, love uh, gives meaning to our giving. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. So again, we can be somebody who gives and gives and gives, but we do it just because it makes us look good. Mm. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, nothing good coming back from that. Here he's saying, if the giving is out of that love, out of the true, deep, heartfelt concern for the well-being of another, that's what profits you, and that's what that's what builds you up. Love is patient, kind, not envious, and humble. First Corinthians thirteen verse four. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Okay, so these are characteristics. And wouldn't you like to be patient, kind, not envious, and humble, honorable, building others up? Uh, always. I'd love to be that way. Always. <laughs> well, and and that's that's it's a struggle. <laughs> and and this is the recipe, though. This is when you when you become someone who truly knows how to love. This is what happens to you as you you apply that action of loving. Love is always appropriate, unselfish, understanding, and unassumptive. First Corinthians thirteen five. Doth not doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Now, let's stop here for a second here. That's quite a little list. It is, it is. But just just think about this. This is Valentine's Day weekend. And here we are. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. It's like you start out saying, hey, it's Valentine's Day weekend. We're going to talk about love. You wouldn't expect to come out with this. No. And and I think that that's the exact reason why so many of us live our lives in sort of a quiet desperation. That's why so many marriages end up in divorce. That's why so many people go from partner to partner to partner and, and don't get married because they just were never taught. They were never told what true love is all about. And if they were, perhaps things would be different. They're always looking for that thing that's going to satisfy them as opposed to looking how they're going to satisfy other people. So it's looking to be the center of attention rather than to giving attention. Mm. Yes. And when we as human beings look for that, the end result is never good. In the long run, it might be it might be cool in the short run, mm-hmm. but in the long run, it's never good, and that's why I love just like that last verse is always it's always appropriate, it's unselfish, it's understanding, and it never assumes. It, it's just it is a the, the classic mentality of being able to give first. Love takes no pleasure in sin; rather, in pleasure is in truth. First Corinthians thirteen verse six: Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. All right, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's simple. <laughs> no pleasure in sin, but rejoices in truth. And again, how often do we mess that up because we sort of like to bend the rules a little bit? Mm-hmm. And I mean, think about it. When and this could be a topic of an entire program because you know you love someone and they do something wrong, and it says, okay, I love them, so I'll overlook it, or we won't we won't go through the proper channels. No, 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 no. That's not loving them because it says love takes no pleasure in sin, right. but rejoices. In truth, that that so it requires you to to stand firm on higher ground, and that's something that we don't see a whole lot of around. Love is faithful. First Corinthians thirteen seven beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, enduring all things. So it's faithful, and that's a great way to sum up what what true love really is. Love never fails. First Corinthians thirteen eight, love never faileth. 
But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And the comparison in this scripture is that uh, there was, in, in, in the early church, there were miraculous gifts given mm-hmm. to some members of the early church to be able to miraculously prophesy. Mm-hmm. There were some gifts given where they were miraculously able to speak in other languages. And there were some gifts given where they were mir- miraculously given the knowledge of scripture without having studied it. Mm-hmm. And what, what the apostle is saying, all those things look good. They're really cool on the outside. It makes you feel pretty powerful. It makes you everybody say, well, look at him. He's so cool. I remember there was one that wanted to buy this opportunity. Right, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But he's saying that love doesn't fail. Those things are going to pass away. Right. And in fact, they, they, they were, did. They were needed for the early church, right. but they disappeared after that point. Right. And they're not around now. And no. if you think they are, you're in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, love never fails. What a great, another great description. Love also ties us together. Colossians 2, verse 2 that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mysteries of God and of the Father and of Christ. So having that, and and we were talking about it, you know, loving one another, when when it talks about being knit together, we're knit together in love because there's the reciprocation of 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 the mutual love for one another and that's mm-hmm. mutually being unselfish and mutually putting the other first and mutually everyone's acknowledging God and and, and Jesus right and that binds you together and you know you and I'm sure most of our listeners have heard the illustration of of you know you look at a wheel it's like a bicycle wheel and if we are at the end of of the spokes of the wheel the way we can love one another is through going through the hub of the wheel any spoke can get to another spoke by going through the hub, which is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, if nice we if we have that 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 focus of our, our of our love and attention and devotion, that's how it gets out to everybody else. So, happy Valentine's Day! Thank you. It's a little different now, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> love also Rick casts out fear. First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So. Having that dedication, now see, especially when it's, when it's a godly dedication, having that, that dedication, that love to others, it takes fear away. Right. Because that is God's way. So, you know, we've asked the question, are there different types of love, and, you know, what does love do? And, well, we've been given a whole lot of, of, of information to sort of build on here. So uh, let's, uh, and folks, if you have a thought, give us a call at 443-9782-443-WSUB. So our question is, how do you find love? And uh, Jonathan, as we get into this, um, what we want to do is just take a minute and look at, or look at, let's listen. Let's listen to a uh, something old, something new, something different, something about love that, uh, that uh, helps us to kind of get a grasp on where people are at these days. Love and marriage, love and marriage They go together like a horse and carriage This I'll tell you, brother You can't have one without the other Love and marriage, love and marriage It's an institute you can't disparage As the local gent 
street And they will say it's elementary Try, try, try to separate them It's an illusion Try, try, try and you will only come To this conclusion Love and marriage, love and marriage Go together like a horse and carriage Dad was told by mother You can't have one, you can't have none You can't have one without the other There it is, love and marriage They go together like a horse and carriage so they do. They do. Well, that's what was that, Frank Sinatra? That's right. And uh, that, what a refreshing, old-fashioned look at love and marriage. You know, it's an institution you can't disparage. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what he said. That's right. But that's not what it is, unfortunately. Sad but true. And you know, you, you think about it, and how did it? How was it that way? And how did it become the way it is? What happened? Where Where did it go wrong? And I think. Go ahead, John. No, go ahead. Finish. <laughs> well, I, I think the answer to that where did it go wrong question just comes in our ability to have so much that we become so centered upon ourselves that we forget to put others in the center first. You, when you said where does it go wrong in this song, at the same time, it brings, I don't know if you guys ever saw the TV sitcom uh, with, with this fictitious family, the Bundys. I forget the name of the... Oh, anyway, good. Anyways, it, it's just a, it's like a, it's like a, a, a bad version of this, and it, mm-hmm. they they use this as the theme song right, for opening right. the program. That's it, but it's like, it's but like, it's the exact opposite. It, it's like the most dysfunctional family that somehow manages to stay together. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's like the antithesis of what we're reading right here. And 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 the point of of using the the song is because it gives a view of what love and marriage were actually looked at looked upon as, and they were an institution that was critically important to to uh, the American life, the American way of being. I mean, you know, the two parent family was a given. It wasn't the kind of thing where you where you you ask. You know, so do you have both parents living at home? Or is right. your, is, does your dad live with you? I mean, mm-hmm. those questions didn't exist years, right. years ago because there was a connection between the two. And, and maybe, look, all marriages weren't great back then. I mean, and, and, and things perhaps, you know, could have used a whole lot of improvement. But the institution itself existed and lived on clearly and fully because it meant something important. And that's what we want to get to this morning, Jonathan, is, is how important is that institution and how important is loving the right way? Well, the biblical way to find love is um, looking at uh, some scriptures. How about Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39? And love God first and above all. Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So if we want to, so how do you find love? I mean, you could you could dial up the, uh, you know, the uh, the singles lines on that they advertise on television, or you can you can get a, go onto a website, 
or you can do an answer an ad in the paper, or you can go to a bar, or you could go to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and see the see the Bible gives us guidance for how to find true love by honoring God first. So you honor God first, mm-hmm. and that puts your 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 person in the perspective to be able to learn how to truly love. What a novel idea. Honor and love God first, because the Bible tells us that. That's right. How about loving what's right? Hebrews 1, verse 9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy fellows. So if you love God first and then you love what's right, you're starting to put together a formula for how to find real love. And that real love that we're talking about is a love that can be reciprocated because you'll obviously in this situation find somebody who will love you in the same way. This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions on 980 WSUB. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Christian Questions on 980 WSUB with Jonathan and Rick. Our subject this segment do love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage? To be a part of our program, call 443-9782-443-WSUB. And for those of you who are younger, a horse and carriage was the mode of transportation way back then. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> anyway, so we're talking about love. We're talking about a biblical perspective on love. We're looking at love because of Valentine's Day. And so far, Jonathan, we haven't been in the typical rosy, red, heart, cupid environment here talking about love uh, in the, on the Valentine's Day weekend. No, we haven't. We've been talking about selflessness. We've been talking about loving with integrity. We've been talking about... Loving without expecting something back in return. What a novel idea. And I understand we have a call. Welcome to Christian Questions. This is Jonathan and Rick. Who are we speaking with? Julius. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. I, I don't dig you because horse and carriage <laughs> were before my time. <laughs> 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 Not really. Well, I guess they were. <laughs> yeah. Better quit there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, a, a, a rather uh, a wonderful subject. I mean, uh, it's it's a critical, important subject in our day when there is so much dissension, so many divorces, etc. Uh, what a what a uh, refresher! Uh, you know, we we should take a course <laughs> regularly on this. What is true love? And uh, uh, if if I attended a uh, a wedding ceremony, and the preacher usually takes what fifteen twenty minutes to give a you know a, a sermon on marriage, and I've seen it happen where the minister. In his uh, presentation, he left out the word sacrifice. <laughs> he was he was criticized. You cannot talk about love and marriage without talking about sacrificing. You know, uh, one or the other has to occasionally, uh, uh, perhaps regularly, sacrifice. So whether there's true selfless uh, love, that's that's I like your your uh, you already analyzed it. That's it's something that's selfless. Uh, you think of the other more than you think of yourself. Uh, so sacrifice, I think, is such a critical part of the, the, the scenario. Uh, one of my favorite verses in, in the whole Bible uh, is uh, Proverbs 
17, 17, chapter 17, verse 17. And he says uh, so simply that a friend, a friend loveth at all times. So, uh, husband and wife, you know, they, they can love when it's convenient, too. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's not a thing of convenience. It's a thing of being a friend, being uh, uh, kind, being considerate for the needs of the other. And I think if both uh, exercise that uh, option and uh, that uh, spirit of sacrifice, then truly uh, the two are inseparable and the two are fulfilling God's requirement of what love is. God bless. Well, thank you so much for sharing. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that's a good way to look at it. A friend loves at all times. And uh, that means when things are good, when things are bad, when things are convenient, or when they're not. And again, what we're saying is love is not an emotion that can be turned on and turned off, but it's an action and it's a choice that is continuous. You know, and it's a, it's a lot less dramatic that way. Mm -hmm. and, You're right. And it comes across as, as almost mundane because it doesn't change. But in fact, the beauty of it is much greater. Especially if you get 50 or 60 or 70 years down the road. Right. And then it's no longer mundane, and people step back and go, whoa, these two did something. Right. And, and you know, and, and again, it may not have been anything dramatic, but that's not what love is. See, we, we, we confuse the issue so easily, especially in this country. We confuse the issue. We confuse infatuation with love all the time. And infatuation, well, that's dramatic. You know, and uh, that's emotional, right? You know, and if if, if you know the, the idea, if if I can't love you, then nobody can. You know, you have the the the, the movies and the you know the murder and blah blah blah. See, that's not love at all. That's infatuation. That's 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 it's way off the charts on the wrong side. Right. Love is sounds boring. It sounds <sighs> yeah, big deal. You know, what's there to get excited about? Well, you know what? Plenty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really and, and but because it's so um, so straightforward, we miss the point because it just doesn't have the uh, the theatrics that the emotions have. And Rick, we're talking about how do you find love, and we've already presented that you love God first and above all, and secondly, love what is right. And the next point we want to share is love those around you after the example of God and Jesus. Let's read John 15 verse nine. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Okay, and also John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So as God has loved Jesus, Jesus love in the same way. Jesus loves us. And another Ephesians five twenty eight. Husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's that sacrifice that Julius was bringing out in his comments. Right, because what did Jesus do for the church? He sacrificed everything, his right. all. And and not only did he sacrifice, but he called them, he taught them, he showed them how to follow his way. He dedicated himself to the... Really, he dedicated himself to the execution of God's plan through that those, those dedicated Christians. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, when, when it says, husband, love your wife, even as Christ loves the church, that's a, that's a tall order. It is. That's self-sacrificing. That's putting, putting the other first. Husbands, are you listening? This is not something that's easy. Uh, she's more important than you are. 
<laughs> according according right. to this to this the, this philosophy. So this is a love that's not interested in one's self. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, you know, well, what good is that? Well, because if you have that love and you express that love to someone else, chances are they'll express it back. Right. Wow. That that's amazing. Right. And see, and then you have something that transcends all of the emotional theatrics, because if you have that that the the energy going back and forth between, then you have what what love, the kind of love that can last a lifetime. That's right. That's right. Well, why don't we? Uh, continue this development of mutual uh, protection love of a brother and sister okay so love. we've talked about that that deeper love the and agape now, let's, mm-hmm. now let's talk about that filio or philadelphia type love and see how the scriptures use that uh to to explain how to find love all right romans 12 verse 10 be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another and that word kindly affectioned is the word for philadelphia mm-hmm. so have that bond one to another that hey we're buddies we're working together here sort of love it's different but see that's a critically important part because see this part this type of love does have more of a of a, of a give and take right you know and again the, one of the examples I think of and you can there, there's many I mean you think of, of, of individuals on a team mm-hmm. you know if they are true teammates they have that fraternal affection. Right. They'll protect each other and they'll go to bat for each other and they'll do whatever they got to do. And you know, it's not a matter of who scores the point; it's a matter of the team winning. Right. That's a brotherly mm-hmm. love. Another scripture, Hebrews thirteen one: Let brotherly love continue. Huh. Simple enough. Sean, you going to say something? Well, I was going to say you think team a, a, a team that pops to my mind immediately from the Old Testament that stuck together despite adversity would be David and Jonathan. Yeah. That's right. Where they Jonathan recognized God blessing David, and despite his father's intention to try and kill and harm David, David and Jonathan kind of formed this deep friendship and pact to to uh, do what they saw right in the Lord's eyes. And not only that, Jonathan was supposed to be the next king, mm-hmm. but David was anointed to be right. king. And well, Jonathan recognized that, right. so, recognized so, his kingship. So I bet he used both types of love that selfless love jonathan was showing a selfless love also At but but very both. much but you're right yeah. he, he, it was like together right. tied together right and that and that's a great example of, of of a bond that could not be broken right even though all things in their lives were were pushing them in that direction it just it just couldn't it couldn't couldn't be broken it's, it was just too powerful how about first peter 3 8 finally be all of one mind having compassion one for another Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Okay, and uh, also, uh, love as brethren, okay? Be, so, be bonded together as brethren. So now if we, you know, if we put these two types of love together, the selfless love that's bonding together, you know, you got it. That's a powerful combination. It is. And, and the example of Jonathan and David really, really, Perfect. really makes it, makes it work. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, Jonathan, here is that um, what we're talking about doesn't, have to be obviously doesn't have to be a romantic love right and we're talking about the basic building blocks of true love and you can truly love another um with all of the 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 biblical uh, definitions of love um and not be involved in a romantic situation now when you get in in terms of desire and passion and all of those that's what what puts the, the 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 man and wife situation that it that's what it builds on as well as these other things good point 
All right. Um, how about John 13, verses 34 through 35? A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So, there's a good test for you. Do people know that you are a, uh, a disciple of Jesus by the way that you live? I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this, is, this is the mirror effect. Mm. You know, can, can people look at you and say there's, there's something in that person that mirrors Jesus because of the way he lives and the way he treats others that are walking in the same direction? Or are we constantly trying to one-up each other or trying to correct each other and all of that kind or of stuff? Or look better than the other. <laughs> Yeah, for yep. some of us that might come easier than for others. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we read Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Okay, you know, you've got to hate that which is evil. You've got to really hold on to that which is good. See, that's what love is built on. And folks, if we, and, and obviously we haven't spent a lot of time talking about love and marriage in the first hour. <laughs> right. We're going to get to a lot more love and marriage in the second hour. As a matter of fact, we're going to spend most of the second hour building on that. But I think this first hour, Jonathan, was important because it gives us the basic building blocks of what true love is all about. And true love is not necessarily, doesn't have to be romantic, but it is dedicated. It is not an emotion, it's an action. It is not something that you can turn on and off. It's, it's, a, it's a continuous choice. Uh, it's a lifestyle. That's what it is. It's a, it's a lifestyle. You know, you've heard of the lifestyles of the rich and famous? <laughs> well, this is a lifestyle of a Christian. Okay? And this lifestyle of a Christian is much more powerful than the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Because you know what? Most of them are not nearly as happy as they would lead you to believe. Oh, for sure. If you live a life in love, happiness is an integral part of that. There's contentment having that, that bond of love. How about Second Corinthians 2.4? For out of much... Uh, affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears not that you should be grieved but it, you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you okay and so here this is Paul pouring out his heart to the brethren and he he was tough on these 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 folks in Corinth oh yeah he was tough in his letters to them and his in his in his communication with them because they had a lot of areas they needed improvement they needed help they needed guidance they needed direction and he was right there with all of this. And he's saying, I've been doing that. And it's with anguish of heart, I wrote you that letter. And because I wanted you to know how much I love you. And, and that word for love is that brotherly uh, affection, that, that fraternal affection. So he's saying, I wanted you to know that I'm in this with you. As well as being dedicated to you with no thought of getting anything back. That's what love is. In the second hour, we'll spend a lot more time on the love and marriage thing. Maybe talk about a horse and carriage and a few other things like that. For Jonathan and Rick, this is Christian Questions. We're talking about love on Valentine's Day weekend. Do love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage? We'll be back after the news, but until then, think about it.
A perfect wife is one who doesn't expect a perfect husband. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Christian Questions. Talk radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. The objective of our program is to discuss with you, our listeners, thought-provoking and meaningful topics based on the Bible. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, and we certainly look forward to hearing your point of view. So, Jonathan, what are we talking about, as if you couldn't guess? Do love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage, Rick? Ask Frank Sinatra. He knows. That's right. And our theme text is found in Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. What a, what a visual that is. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And uh, we're talking about, because it's Valentine's Day weekend, we figured we'd talk about love. True love. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It had to happen before the program was over. And uh, so far, Jonathan, we've, we haven't talked about the love and marriage so much as we've talked about what does love really mean. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the word for love, the two primary words for love, uh, don't have anything to do with romantics at all. No, it doesn't. The the primary word for love is a is a selfless giving love that is is more concerned about the welfare of the other individual. And the other word for love in the New Testament is is taken from the Greek word Philadelphia or filio, and it really means kind of a fraternal affection, a brotherly love, a bonding together where you're sort of like working together towards an end result. So those are the two words we spent a lot of time talking about them and what love does. And uh, now we're going to be getting into the love and marriage part. We also heard from Frank Sinatra this morning. That's right. Love and marriage, going together like a horse and carriage, and and how important it is. And and we we, we discussed how important it is to be selfless in our loving others, not only our spouses, but others in general. And if we can have that attitude of selflessness, then uh, the, the quality of love that we give will be much, much, much greater. And that brings us to our third question of the program. What is the most important thing in a marriage? Okay, so here it is. Now we're getting to the love and marriage part, and we're asking, what's, if you had to figure out the single most important thing in a marriage, what would it be? Is it love? What is it? Is, 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 it, is it whether your wife can cook or not? What is it? Is it, is it can you provide uh, you know, make good money? Is it having a family? What is the single most important thing in a marriage? Now, I obviously have an opinion on this. <laughs> <laughs> very, very firm opinion on this, as a matter of fact. And, uh, folks, if you have a thought, give us a call at 443-9782-443-WSUB. Jonathan, there's a quote here from a fellow by the name of Jerry White. He wrote a book called The Power of Commitment, and this is a great little quote. People fall in love, but they decide to stay in love. Emotions change like the weather, but love must be a determined commitment. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. Encourage the young women to love their husbands. We must commit to love in a self-sacrificial way, whether or not the love is reciprocated. Now, think about that. And I love the way this, this quote starts out. People fall in love, but they decide to stay in love. Emotions change like the weather. I mean, you can have it. it can oh be yeah, raining one day. <laughs> and my wife knows this more than ah. most. 
She goes, she Why tells, is that? She tells me I'm high maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us about your high maintenance uh, uh, Emotions activity. can play tricks <laughs> on your mind. Okay, so you're a high maintenance individual. Yes, huh? yes oh, I am. All right, so, but it's interesting because... In that situation, and now that you brought it up, I can use you as an example. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I mean, when, and I don't know what the circumstances are, nor do I necessarily want to know. <laughs> but when you've got that kind of thing, and, and you know, so in, perhaps sometimes things are going really well, you mm-hmm. know, from your perspective, and sometimes they're, they're not. not. <laughs> yeah. And, and what this is saying is it's the decision to stay in love in spite of the ups and downs. Exactly. And to, and to be steady with it. And um, love must be a determined commitment. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's it. That's the, the key, the, the, the beginning and the end of a marriage relationship is built on that one word. If you, right. if you have that one word, you have everything. Commitment. That's the word. Let's not make, let's make sure that we don't get any other word. That's the word. That's the word for the day is? Commitment. Ding! <laughs> That's it's so important because the emotion that we call love, which really isn't love according to the scriptures. That's right. But the emotion that we call love fluctuates. It goes up. It goes down. It changes. The emotions that we have, <laughs> one with one toward another, change. <laughs> and we're just having fun here in the studio. This yes, morning. we are. So this is a this is a great example. This small little quote is a great mm-hmm. example of, of what makes a marriage. I think more than anything else, commitment does because, you know, um, you, you, and, and again, you may have heard the, the phrase, you know, you don't always, how does it go, you don't always like your wife all the time, but you love her. Okay. And, and that shows the commitment because mm-hmm. sometimes the things that we do maybe get the other all turned inside out, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you give up. Right. What it means is if the commitment is there, it sees it's through. It's always there. Right. Right. And and that's just that's a real important thing. Jonathan, we had a um, a song that we wanted to do at this point. That's right. And wh- what is the song? It's called I Will Be Here by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Got it right.
That was I Will Be Here by Steve Stephen Curtis Chapman. And boy, if that's not a song about commitment, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's for sure. That was a great choice for that. Because that, that, what it's saying is it doesn't matter what the tide brings in. It doesn't matter what the weather brings. It doesn't matter what kind of fortunes we have, whether they're, they're good or bad. I will be here. And, uh, you know, when you look at your, your personal experiences in life, um, and again, I, I'm using a lot of cliches, but, you know, you... The, the testing comes when the fire is there. You know, when you have the fire of trial and difficulty, you, you find out what you're really made of. And I, I can tell you from personal experience that, you know, my own life with my own marriage with my my wife, she's the love of my life, and we've been married for going on 23 years. It's hard to believe, 23 years. I, you know, we've gone through some tough things, especially recently. We've gone through some fire. And uh, what it's done is it's it's, it's made us rely on each other a whole lot more, and when you go through the fire, you come out of it, come out of it with that so much a deeper appreciation. Mm-hmm. And it's because the commitment is there. It's not, you know, because sometimes in the, in the midst of the fire and the difficulty, there's no big emotion. Right. You're just surviving. Mm-hmm. And going through the survival stages are when love really shows for what it really is. And and that's and that's why it's a commitment. That's not why it's not an emotion because emotions get can you know the the, the emotion can get uh, put out by uh, doused with cold water and it's gone. Right. It can be revived, sure, but it go, comes and goes. Commitment stays forever. And what a what a great example through that song of uh, what commitment really is. Jonathan, we have another quote here. 
uh, by James Dobson, uh, book Emotions, Can You Trust Them? Okay. And uh, love at first sight is a physical and emotional impossibility. Why? Because love is not simply a feeling of romantic excitement. It goes beyond intense sexual attraction. It exceeds the thrill at having captured a high, desirable social prize. There are emotions that are unleashed at first sight, but they do not constitute love. I wish the whole world would know that fact. These temporary feelings differ from love in that they place the spotlight on the one experiencing them. What is happening to me? This is the most fantastic thing I've ever been through. I think I am in love. You see, these emotions are selfish in the sense that they are motivated by our own gratification. They have little to do with the new lover. Such a person has not fallen in love with another person. He or she has fallen in love with love. And he continues, Real love, in contrast to popular notions, is an expression of the deepest appreciation for another human being. It is an intense awareness of his or her needs and longings for the past, present, and future. It is unselfish and giving and caring. And Jonathan, what a dramatic difference from the thoughts that we have in our world today. (gasps) I'm in love! No, you're not. This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions on 980 WSUB. Grab your Bibles. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Christian Questions on 980 WSUB with Jonathan and Rick. Our subject this segment, Do Love and Marriage Go Together Like a Horse and Carriage? To be a part of our program, call 443-9782-443-WSUB. You know, they go together like a horse and carriage, like peanut butter and jelly, like tuna fish and mayonnaise. You know, they just they just belong together. Yes. And uh, we're talking about love and the what it really is. The most important thing in a marriage. And the word for today is? Commitment. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's what, if you have commitment down, if you understand what commitment is, you can be truly in love. Because commitment sees through and is stable and it and it just stays with you no matter what the ups and downs are. And that's what makes a marriage. It's not love, it's not emotion, it's not passion. All those are important, but not as important as commitment. And Jonathan, we were talking during the break about uh, that's all well and good, but there is no cookie-cutter operation that says, okay, here's how you... Can, here, here's here's the formula. Here's the way you express your love and, for and, your spouse. And why is that? Because there's no cookie cutter example for us. Because we're so different. Because and and we've done programs on this in the past. But there's and we won't take a lot of time on this this morning. But there there are four basic personality types, and each of those personality types, and where all of us are probably a combination of two of them or maybe three. Probably not all four because they contradict each other in some ways. But um, most of us are primarily one type versus another, and the way we express our love or commitment comes differently from one type to another. And, and if you use the word STAR as an acronym, the S, each letter stands for one of these character types. Very quickly, the S stands for stability-oriented people, like to have their ducks in a row, go by the rules. Okay, A stands for, or ST. T comes before it. Yes. I can spell. T. <laughs> T stands for theory-oriented people, people that love to get into the how things work. Um, the 
A stands for an action-oriented person. Somebody who just loves to get out there and, and, and mix it up and, and doesn't necessarily think about consequences. Roll up their sleeves and go. Yeah, doesn't even necessarily think before <laughs> they act. <laughs> and the R is a relationship-oriented person, and that really defines itself. And for a relationship-oriented person, their expression of their love and commitment is going to be very, very different than somebody who's theory-oriented. Mm-hmm because they see things from a different perspective. doesn't mean either one of them would be less committed. Right. Uh, for the action-oriented person, it's going to be totally different than a stability-oriented person mm-hmm. because of the way they approach life. So, so do you have an argument with yourself about the best way to approach things? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do, because you're, you're right. Because he, I'm he, he's, a, he's a an A and an and an S. That's right. All the way. Right. Be both of them. And, and I, I argue. I, I literally do. Part of me, when, I, when, when the action part of me gets going, it just leaves everything else behind. And then the S part of me has to come and clean up the mess. <laughs> and it yells at the other part of me. It says, now, Rick, you know, you've got to be more calm and, and, and you, know, you know, settle in, focus. Are, are you seeing anyone for this problem, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point is, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> it's all right. I'm committed to you. <laughs> yeah, okay. That I know. That I know. But the point is that it's different. It's different for each of us, and um, we just have we have to be aware of that. And it's really important to try to understand what type of person your spouse is, because then you can understand how they're committed to you, because they may be committed to you on on with different guidelines than you're committed to them. Mm-hmm. Because my wife is, is definitely doesn't have the action orientation in her at all. Okay? <laughs> she's, she's, she's just not that way. She's very stability-oriented. So, you know, I need to understand that, and, and that makes it much easier to, to see the commitment. And when you can see it, then, of course, it's so much easier to appreciate. Good point. Jonathan, there's a lot of ideas about marriage. There's a lot of facts about marriage, and there's a lot of myths about marriage. That's right. Uh, our, the first uh, myth that we're going to talk about is people marry because they love each other. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that's why you're supposed to get married. You know, if you ask two young folks who are engaged, you know, why are you two getting married? Inevitably. <laughs> that's the answer. Well, th- and they're going to they're gonna turn, they're going to look at each other with these starry <gasps> eyes and the sigh and say, because we love each other. And then years later, if you had those same two people who were decided to get divorced, and you ask them, why are you getting divorced, inevitably they'd look at each other and say, because we don't love each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a myth. You don't get married based on that physical attraction that we call love. There's got to be commitment involved in it. And in other societies, you marry, then learn to love your mate. Yeah, how about Isn't that? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we'd never tolerate that here, would we? <laughs> you know why? Because that's not self-centered enough for us. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be the center of attention, otherwise it doesn't work. Well, it, it would work, but we just don't want it to work mm-hmm. if we're not the center of attention. So that's one of the myths that people ought to marry because they love each other. It's a lot more than that, that romantic love that we've been talking about. Second myth, partners help each other solve deep problems. Yeah, and, and, and a comment on this is if you expect your spouse to meet, uh, to make your life right, um, you'll almost certainly be disappointed because somebody else can't fix you. Good point. You know why? Because you are your biggest problem. <laughs> <laughs> you're pointing to me when you're saying that. Hey, 
and I know that. <laughs> I'm working well, on you it. Know, it's, this, it's the same for all of us. Inevitably, we are our own biggest problem, period. And we're, that's We're our own worst nightmares. We are. We're our own worst enemy. And, and you know, if you expect your, your partner to solve your deep problems, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Another myth. Another myth is in happy marriages, they do everything together. <laughs> Sean's shaking his head no. <laughs> Not everything. A lot of things, yes. Everything, no. There, there just, there, there's got to be room for the individuality of the two individuals because that's what they are. Everybody has their own level of personal space. Right. Fourth myth, true lovers can read each other's thoughts. Isn't that romantic? Oh, I can tell you know what I'm thinking. Well, maybe not. He doesn't understand me. <laughs> and, and if I could read thoughts, I'd be in a doghouse a lot <laughs> less in my life. But, you know, and you're right. You know, the, the idea is that, okay, we must not be in love because you really don't understand me. Yeah. Or you don't know what I'm thinking. And that's baloney. That, it just, it, Communication it, is key. Right. Sometimes you have to say, hey, this <laughs> is what I need. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you what I'm thinking. Yes. Wow, how about that? See, understand, though, if we don't look to communicate, we can't. Again, that, th what that is, that is a totally selfish perspective. That's a good point. If, you, if I expect you to read my thoughts, then I am just entirely self-centered. And, you know, get off my butt and tell you about it. I mean, that's really what it ought to be about here. Anyway. How about the next myth? He or she'll change after we're married. Oh, there's a big one. Oh. Oh, don't worry. I don't like this and this and this about them, but they'll change once yeah. we're married. <laughs> they will not. It's just people don't. People are who they are. That's right. And and change can happen, but it has to be internally initiated by the person doing the changing. Especially with today's trend, where people actually tend to get married when they're older. Yeah. The older you are, the more set in your ways you That's are. That's right. That's right. How about this myth? If the man is a good provider, that's the main thing. As long as we have money, we're, we're safe. We're Stability good. Stability oriented. Right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And, and you know, it's funny that you, uh, you bring that up because, like, the, the true lovers can read each other's thoughts. That's a real relationship-oriented person thinking that. Yes, it is, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, it's not, it's not the providing of the dollars and cents. And, you know, it's, it's the providing of a life together based on commitment that makes things work. How about this myth? Children will make our marriage better. Let's have kids since we're having problems beforehand. <laughs> no. Right. And, and if you're having problems beforehand, get the problem straightened up first before you have the kids. That's right. And, and the, the author of these ten points writes, if the marriage isn't happy, uh, the coming of children won't fix that. All you have now is an unhappy marriage plus a baby. <laughs> and it's so true because, again, outside things don't change us. We must change us, and we must initiate that change in ourselves and we must see it through, and our spouse can support the change. But it's got to be our own, otherwise it's not going to happen. And those are just the facts of life. The eighth myth, an affair automatically spells the end of the marriage. And I have to be careful with this one. Yeah, we cause, do. Because you don't want to say, well, okay, then that's okay to go mess up. No, it ain't. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. You know, there. and we talked last week about forgiveness. Right. Okay? And I will tell you that in situations like when you, you have that happen, that has got to be one of the most difficult things to overcome. Mm -hmm. Because that is a violation of this commitment one to another that that just, what do you say? I mean, and, and the bottom line is you can always say, well, you know, they drove me to do it. 
But when you're in that kind of an attitude, you've taken the commitment away on both sides, and you've allowed the ups and downs of emotions to, to guide and direct you, and that's a nasty place to be. An affair doesn't automatically spell the end of a marriage, but it certainly has no place in a marriage. That's right. Fidelity is something that we just don't think enough about in, in, in our world. And after something like that, fidelity is extremely hard to, to regain. Because the trust is gone. Right. And if we, you know, I think about it, and if, if we spent more of our time working on fidelity um, before marriage, you know, the, the old sleeping around thing that, that's so prevalent, that, that in and of itself destroys the ability to, to uh, truly have a good marriage. If you do that, you're, you're really killing your chances. Mm. Your chances go down. Every time you sleep around somebody, your chances go down further and further that you will ever truly find happiness with one individual. And commit to one. Right. Yeah. How about the next myth? It's better to hang on in a destructive marriage. And again, that's a tough one because, you know, we keep saying commitment till death do you part. And in a destructive marriage, you have to define that. I mean, if you, if, you know, if there's a psychopath involved, you don't stay with them. If they beat you, you don't stay there. Right. You leave. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not an advocate of divorce. Okay, I, I, I think divorce should be few, divorces should be few and far between. It doesn't mean you have to stay there in the house you and live with them. You can separate from right. them if it's a destructive marriage. Right. There's nothing in the Bible that says we have to be masochistic. Right. And the last myth, Christian couples should pray together. And you think that, now see, there's another R thing. Yes, <laughs> it is. You can tell what Jonathan is here. <laughs> N-A, I'm also an That's A. That's right, I are. do before I think, yeah. also. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, the, the idea, now when you think about this, I mean, it's great if you can have a couple that prays together, mm-hmm. but the the other thing is that prayer, in in true deep heartfelt prayer, is such a personal thing that you don't want to get into a situation where one of the two spouses perhaps is more articulate than the other, and when they pray together, you've got one that sounds so good in expressing themselves, and the other just doesn't, because there's it's too easy to to, to judge yourself. And say, well, you know, I don't know if I like this because, you know, I can't express myself. Well, see, that's the the goodness of prayer is God knows our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if we present our thoughts to him individually, he can understand them and he can identify with them. But also um, for the the R's, (laughs) uh, taking turns in prayer together is uh, something that we we do in our family, even with our son Paul, Mm -hmm. where uh, we... We have some decision we want to make or something important. We all together are together sharing from our own our own way to the Lord um, for help or, or, or you know, encouragement. And, and that's a good thing. That's, that's definitely a good thing. It's not something that I'm saying shouldn't happen, but I think it's something that if you don't do it, it's not like you're, you're bad and you're doomed to failure in your marriage. Oh, you're right. Yeah, no, uh, but I think it does have a... Um uh, a wonderful place, but it's not the only way to pray because I, I think it goes back to that needing everybody needs their own kind of personal space. Right, you need your own personal relationship with God too. That's right, very much so. One of my one of my endearing, lasting memories of my grandparents, my dad's parents, are they started every day with a prayer and devotion together. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and it was cool, and that made them stronger as a result. Oh, most definitely. Okay, Sean, before the break, why don't we go into this other this other piece of music? Um, and this is this is a song that is a, a 
song that Jonathan you mentioned is is used often at uh, at wedding ceremonies. Yes, it is. Peter, Paul, and Mary uh, is it. There is love, or it's called the wedding song. Either way, it, there's two titles for this and song. Popular, people know it, people hear it, and hopefully it'll just re-spark what commitment's all about. There is love. And who is that by? Peter, Paul, and Mary. Okay. 
Do love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage? We're talking about love and commitment. This is Jonathan and Rick with Christian Questions on 980 WSUB. We'll be right back. Love and marriage, love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. This I'll tell you, brother. Welcome back to Christian Questions on 980 WSUB with Jonathan and Rick. That's our subject, love and marriage. To be a part of our program, call 443-9782-443-WSUB. And Jonathan, we want to take a quick look at, and I'm sorry that we're running out of time here, but uh, has married life changed over the last 50 years or so? And we're going to read an excerpt from a home economics book in the 1950s. And then we're going to read you the 1990s version of the same thing. These are, these are, this is actually from a textbook in the 1950s. Number, Ten points. Number one, have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal on time. This is a way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Most men are hungry when they come home, and the prospects of a good meal are part of the warm, wel- welcome need. Point two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes or so, and so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair, and be fresh-looking. He has just been with a lot of work-weary people. Be a little gay and have and a little more interesting. His boring day may need a lift. Clear away clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives, gathering up school books, toys, papers, etc. Then run a dust cloth over the tables. Your husband will feel he has reached a haven of rest and order, and it will give you a lift, too. Number four, prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces if they're small. Comb their hair and, if necessary, change their clothes. They are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing the part. Fifth point, minimize the noise. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all noise of washers, dryers, or vacuums. Try to encourage the children to be quiet. Greet him with a warm smile and be glad to see him. (laughs) I can't stand it. Number six, some don'ts. Don't greet him with problems or complaints. Don't complain if he's late for dinner. Count this as minor compared to what he might have had to go through during his day. Make him comfortable. Have him lean back in a comfortable chair or suggest he lay down in the bedroom. Have a cool or warm drink ready for him. Arrange his pillow and offer to take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soft, soothing, and pleasant voice. Allow him to relax and unwind. Find me a time machine. (laughs) Number eight, listen to him. (laughs) You may have a dozen things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the time. (laughs) Let him talk first is what you're trying to say, Rick. Okay, next one. Make the evening his. Never complain if he does not take you out to dinner or to other places of entertainment. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his need to be home and relaxed. And number 10, the goal, try to make your home a place of peace and order where your husband can relax. And Jonathan, this is from the 19, this is from a textbook from the 1950s from a home economics class, class for, for teenage girls learning how to be women. And boy, has life changed. But this reminds me of something else um, from way back. And this is from the, uh, the Fiddler on the Roof. That's right. He's a little crazy, but I like it. What's more important 
But even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. That's how it ends. <laughs> what a great example and uh, of, of commitment. Mm-hmm. Commitment in force. Commitment working its way through a difficult life. In, in that song from Fiddler on the Roof, Tevya and Golda, Do You Love Me? Jonathan, now let's read the 1990s version. It's actually the 2000 version okay. of uh, this this uh, textbook. Now, this is obviously not in a textbook, but <laughs> this is the way that we view that uh, the, the, the wife's uh, relationship with her husband. First, have dinner ready. Make reservations ahead of time. If your day becomes too hectic, just leave him a voicemail message regarding where you'd like to eat and at what time. This lets him know that your day has been and gives him an opportunity to change your mood. (laughs) Two, prepare yourself. A quick stop at the Lancome counter on your way home will do wonders for your outlook and will keep you from becoming irritated every time he opens his mouth. And don't forget to use his credit card. Clear away the clutter. Call the housekeeper and tell her that any miscellaneous items left on the floor by the children can be placed in the Goodwill box in the garage. Four, prepare the children. Send the children to their rooms to watch television or play Nintendo. After all, both of them are from his previous marriages. Minimize the noise. If you happen to be home when he arrives, be in the bathroom with the door locked. (laughs) Some don'ts. 
don't greet him with problems and complaints. Let him speak first, and then your complaints will get more attention and remain fresh in his mind <laughs> throughout dinner. Wow. Don't complain if he's late for dinner. Simply remind him that the leftovers are in the fridge and you left the dishes for him to do. Make him comfortable. Tell him where he can find a blanket if he's cold. <laughs> this will really show you care. Number eight, listen to him, but don't ever let him get the last word. Make the evening his. Never complain if he does not take you out to dinner or to other places of entertainment. Go with a friend or go shopping. Use his credit card. Familiarize him with the phrase, girls' night out. <laughs> Number ten, the goal, try to keep things amicable without reminding him that he only thinks the world revolves around him. Obviously, he's wrong. It revolves around you. And that sums up exactly what we've been talking about for the last couple of hours. It sums up the idea how the uh, we have become so selfish in our perspective on love and marriage, um, and, and we've got, gotten so wrapped up in the, in the uh, me, 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 that we have forgotten what really true love is all about. And, you know, what a great contrast. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying that in the, in the 1950s version everything was exactly the way it should have been because mm -hmm. obviously, you know, the, that poor woman <laughs> is, is like a footstool almost, and that's not the way it ought to be. We've got to come up with a guy version of, of, of that contrast <laughs> from the 50s to now. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like, uh, uh, what was the Cleavers, June and... Ward. Ward. It's kind of like, you know, Ward and, and Homer Simpson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and it's just, it's, Jonathan, it's so unfortunate because y you think about the, the, the amazing contrast because we live in a day and an age where we know so much, we have so much in terms of, of advancement going our way, and yet we have, as a result of that, too much of our lives have become so self-centered that we just we don't remember what it's like to have the the, the right kind of of love and commitment that that's uh, required to make a life work. A um, couple of things, Jonathan. Uh, let's let's go through just very quickly. We won't have time to read the scriptures because we're just going to be running out of time. And Sean, I'll need a, like a two minute heads up. Uh, these are ten marks of a happy marriage. Uh, happy marriage, right? Happy marriage. And this was uh, an article that we got off of the internet. Well, the first point is commitment. Ding! Your favorite. Second, loving acceptance. Okay, so commitment, loving acceptance. Respect. I'll tell you, without respect, there's pretty much nothing. Because you can't have commitment without respect. Mm -hmm. Respect is a kind of a basis from which to build. And if you can't respect the person you're with, why are you with them? Maturity and responsibility. And that's something that grows over time. Uh, oftentimes we start out kind of on the wrong end of that, but we have to grow. In that. And the good news is that you can grow in maturity, and you can grow in responsibility, and if you've made mistakes, you can correct them. Mm -hmm. Intimacy. That's important. You know, we, we sort of downplayed that through this couple of hours because all of Valentine's Day, all that focuses on is intimacy. But if you have, if you have these first four points, intimacy is a direct outgrowth of those four points. That's right. And it's a lot stronger an outgrowth of those four points than it is of a, just a, of, of an emotional fling. Mm -hmm. Conflict resolution. Oh, there's a tough one. Learning how to solve problems together. Mm -hmm. Money. Oh, most of us need more of it, most likely. Most of us are in big debt. Most likely. And therefore, most of us need to be mature about money matters That's and right. work together on the money matters. I see too often how 
uh, spouses try to keep things from each other mm-hmm. because it's an embarrassment and it's a difficulty and it's a stress. But you got to be able to somehow work work through this stuff. Right. Gender, roles, and sexuality. Believe it or not, and this may come as another shock to you, but men and women are different. <laughs> spirituality. <laughs> we'll move right on. <laughs> uh, spirituality is critically important. And finally... Regular marriage checkups. Always check up on where you're at. And, and Jonathan, we're, we're beginning to wind down on time. And there was something that we wanted to kind of look at in terms of uh, perspective. You know, I want to get back to the commitment thing. And um, just to uh, a, couple of, a couple of proverbs, though, just before we go, go to the commitment thing. Proverbs 26:21 says, As charcoal to embers, as wood to fire, so a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. So you don't want to be a guy who kindles strife. Mm-hmm. Another proverb says, Proverbs 21:19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and an Ill- ill-tempered wife. <laughs> so either way, you better not be quarrelsome. But let's, let's go through commitment one more time, and let's look at what commitment actually does to help us keep our marriage vow. And a vow is a promise made before God. Commitment lives when feelings die. Commitment fights when temptation attacks. Commitment dreams when reality seems too hard. Commitment persists when you're about to give up. Commitment believes even when you doubt. Commitment grows when life goes on autopilot. Commitment focuses when you can't see. Commitment fulfills when you question yourself. Commitment strengthens when have when you have nothing left. Commitment rebuilds when dreams have been shattered. Commitment inspires when your will is too weak. Commitment directs when the future is unsure. Commitment works when all else fails. And isn't that the bottom line? Commitment works when all else fails. When we don't have anything left, when everything seems to be going the wrong direction, and uh, maybe maybe our promises, uh, maybe we've broken some of our promises, maybe some of our dreams have been shattered, uh, maybe we're, we're disillusioned. Maybe we expected different out of our lives. Where do you go from there, folks? Where do you go? I mean, we're, we're on the Valentine's Day weekend, and it's supposed to be a celebration of love. Love is a commitment. Love is an action. Love is a choice. And it's based on a commitment. And when things go poorly, and, you know, Jonathan, for most of us, things go poorly more often than we'd like. That's for sure. And disappointments abound. They're everywhere. So how do you handle those things? If you're committed to your relationship, if you're absolutely committed, you can work your way through them. Without commitment, you really have nothing. And without commitment, there is no love. Do love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage? They certainly do, and with a whole lot of commitment sprinkled in there for good measure. I uh, hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning as we've looked at love from probably a different standpoint for a Valentine's Day weekend. Hope it's been helpful for Jonathan and Rick. This is Christian Questions. Until next week, focus on commitment. Think about it. Mm-hmm.